0: Brian Keane, thank you for joining me in another of our acclaimed franchise radio shows. And I'm pretty excited because today is a very special one because we've got John O'Brien. He's the founder of multi-award winning international franchise group Poolworks. John joins me with an exciting installment in our series, Secrets of Franchise Experts Involve, Exposed, where our experts share their philosophies, their mindset, and what makes them stand out being so successful without doubt it's a must listen to for anyone in the sector for anyone wishing to learn more about the business growth juggernaut we all call franchising john welcome to you how are you today
1: yeah great brian and a pleasure to be back with you always great to speak to you um
0: i'll just run through a little introduction for john for those who don't know him or an update because he's a man who never stopped growing which is why i'm so happy to have a snag in for this conversation today so John's passion and experience in franchising and the pool industry is, is difficult to rival. He's a I must say, he's a visionary leader. He's a dynamic entrepreneur with a penchant for bringing order to disorganised industries. Quite a skill. He founded his current brand, Poolworks, close to 30 years ago, and grown it into what is, without doubt, a global award-winning system. Um, twice recognised by the Franchise Council of Australia as the Franchise System of the Year, uh, three times winner of the best multi-unit franchisee. The list is endless. Uh, He's also privileged to be an inductee in the FCA Hall of Fame and just to show his global presence, past Chair of the World, Asia-Pacific and Australian Franchise Council. So um, added to that, he was selected as a founding member of the Australian Federal Government um, Franchise Advisory Group. Um, he's certainly been a game changer in the swimming pool sector. He co-founded and chaired the Swim Pool Retail Association of Australia, uh, served on the industry's peak governing board, which is known as the Swim Pool and Spa Association of Australia. And, and um, he's, he's tributed um, as really creating pool works into the world's largest global franchise pool service brand with operations throughout Australia, New Zealand, the USA, and the exciting part with further international expansion on the horizon. Um, They've now got more than 160 stores, would you believe? 600 service vans, and it just doesn't stop growing. So apart from a obviously successful corporate career, John's founded and developed five successful brands and he generously shares his experiences and his learnings. John, anything to add to my little introduction there?
1: Ah, oh, you're just making me feel tired, Brian. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there we are. One of the cornerstones of John's success is that he's always pretty relaxed and chilled, I've got to say, over the two or three decades I've known him. So, John, really happy to have you here. So we're just going kind to of have a bit of a chat, really, about, as I said, sharing some of the philosophies and, and, and mindset that you've obviously used and adapted and developed to make your organisation so successful. So... Um, I suppose you've got a bit of a philosophy about small business. I think about what elite, what small business is all about. Um, would you like to share a little bit of that for us?
1: Yeah, look, I very much so, Brian. I I suppose I was fortunate enough in my late twenties when I stepped out of corporate uh, that I, I was a franchise franchisee, uh, and along the line of I've, I've been a master franchisee, and, and then and then a franchisor. So. I've uniquely uh, seen the relationship through a number of different levels and lenses, and I'm a big believer that uh, franchising needs to be a partnership. Now, it, your lawyers will will uh, quiver when you talk about that, but uh, <laughs> and I think even more so today uh, as we uh, move in an accelerated and different world uh, post-pandemic, um, people are looking f- for a very different relationship as a franchisee with their franchisor. So where I start with is that um, a lot of people focus in my view in the franchise relationship uh, too much on, on profit and money first. Now I'll come back to that later, but um, franchisees don't join your brand um, to, to make a lot of money they join your brand to make a lot of money so it can do things for them. Um, so you, you need to, people have a dream. We all well, A lot of people have a barbecue dream. Very few people put it into action. But uh, when potential franchisees come along, uh, they've got a dream and they're looking to put it into action. So uh, I love those initial discussions with uh, potential franchisees where you talk to them about what, what is their dream? What, what's the dream they have? Do they want to uh, work together as a husband and wife team? Do they want to help educate their kids into the business? Uh, Do they want a better work-life balance? Do they want control over their destiny? Do they want a better future for their family? Whatever it might be, everybody's got a unique dream, but that to me is the starting point. And it's one of the the best things about creating a brand and being a franchisor is that you get to hear people's dreams and then to work with them to help them implement it. Like... People have got to fall in love, I find, uh, with the purpose of your brand. And, uh, you know, for example, with us, um, what do people think when they think pool work? So they think of a a pool maintenance company. Well, what what we are to our franchisees and to our clients is that we help create backyard family memories, uh, safe and fun around the pool. You know, the great Aussie dream or Kiwi dream or US dream. Uh, and we think that's, that's a fabulous thing to do to help create backyard memories. And yeah, in, in, we do it in a post-COVID world where people are uh, gathering around the backyard a lot more. So, um, yeah, falling in love with your purpose, we find is really important. The, the next thing we find there's probably three things. The next one is um, we have five corporate KPIs that keep us very much on track. Now, I talked before about profits, not first, but it's darn important. And the number one corporate KPI in our business uh, is increasing franchisee profitability every year because without the profit, they can't live their dream. And it keeps us very accountable as a a support network. Um, And we we say that accountability is what builds trust with our potential franchisees. And the third and final part of that, uh, what I think is important in a partnership with franchisees is, is what's the culture of the organisation they might be going to join. Um, and I find that the, the values and culture of a brand have to match the values and culture of a potential franchise family. Otherwise, it, it doesn't happen or they don't join you or it doesn't work. And, and we have five uh, very key values that have been part of our business for a very long time. And it's, it's what creates our... Our, our common tribal language—it's the way we partner and talk and, and work with each other. We call it; it's our respect medium. Uh, so, that's just some initial thoughts around what I think is important in a franchise small business. Uh, Brian? Yeah, look, um, I, I
0: couldn't—I couldn't agree more with that. A bit like you, I've had a fairly diverse, I suppose, background in franchising, from being a franchisee or a franchisor and having the privilege to work with lots of groups and. I've been fascinated and I've seen, I suppose, a transition with quite a lot of organisations in their view um, of franchising and business, which you're describing. And and I I do see you as a bit of a thought leader in that space because it was from you I learned the term franchise partners. Um, And it's one that I've impressed upon all the people we work with, for the following 12 or 15 years since you introduced me to the term because I think it summarizes certainly the whole key and your philosophies um, in in the two words. I mean, it all starts with a name, doesn't it? And and we attach an identity to a name and we have an emotional attachment. Um, So you're drawing on that emotional element, I think, when it comes to talking to people. And uh, how do you go, I suppose, going beyond that? I know that you traditionally, you know, people are going to join your group, for example, go to your headquarters there in Milton, in, in Brisbane, in Queensland, Australia, um, to have a bit of a look-see and meet the team there. Um, how, how do you develop that relationship, that sort of collaboration from there on once they are selected and, and join your organisation?
1: Yeah, look, it's, um, yeah, we do have our global training headquarters here in Brisbane and We have a replica in in Dallas in Texas too these days but um, when uh, people join us and and physically come for their uh, uh, three-week live-in induction um, and it is a 12-month induction but it starts with that three weeks in in what we call pool school. um, The very first thing we talk about is is the three-legged stool And, and that's some of you might be familiar with uh, Ray, Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's book, Behind the Golden Arches. Uh, um, and he, when I read Ray's book about the three-legged stool, in fact, we have a three-legged stool here, and I sit on that at the front of pool school and, and talk to people about it. And it's Ray's uh, concept at McDonald's was that franchise uh, franchisees and the franchisor and the suppliers... Um, are the three legs uh, that support the brand. Um, And they all have an equal um, and supportive relationship. A very, very interesting way to look at it. It completely changed the way I looked at our suppliers in particular. Um, So we gave them a name. You know, we said, okay, well, if we're going to be in a three-legged supportive relationship um, and a partnership, then... Nobody wants to be an E or an O and nobody wants to be an employee. Nobody wants to be a, a, a licensee. Um, you know, people want to be, we, they want to be equal. So we call our people, our franchisees, franchise partners. We call our suppliers partners in profit. Um, and, and nobody wants to work for a head office. So we call head office, the Pull work support center. Um, that's a good place to start. Um, a lot of it's about language and, uh, you know, the next thing we, we talk about, of course, is our values. And um, our values were born out of some pretty dark times uh, about 15 years ago uh, where we lost our way. And oh, I won't go into that today. But um, our values are, are ones people relate to. People first always uh, do the right thing, find the better way, which is, you know, the, uh, very much the system excellence franchise thing. Uh, Dare to succeed, which is the entrepreneurial value, and energise, which is the, uh, the positive glue that holds it all together. And, you know, they're on the wall behind our at, at front and centre at our pool school, and we refer to them all the time. Uh, and franchisees refer to it. And when we get ourselves into trouble, it's because we haven't paid attention, but they normally help us find a way out uh, of that. And probably the last piece of that, Brian, is um, our advisory council. You know, These days we have uh, a Poolworks Advisory Council pack in, in each of our countries. Uh, and we also have regional advisory councils in each state. And McDonald's always say that 40% of their best ideas come from their franchisees if you listen to them. So we've got a very, very functioning advisory council, highly respected within the group. Uh, and they're a great conduit uh, in our business for filtering up uh, uh, positivity and solving any issues.
0: It makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. It's what the uh, the Greg Nasons of this world, the psychologists who look into the deeper, thinkings of our minds and so forth, uh, really, really lecture. Continually, I suppose, is the benefit of that that concrete, that relationship. And certainly, a uh, Calamine of mine had 10 McDonald's and uh, he sat on their marketing uh, advisory committee and the uh, wouldn't tick anything off to go to market until it was approved to a fair degree, at least, by their advisory committees. And uh, it goes to show the value because they're the people at the coalface who know what the customer wants. And uh, I guess that's where your pipeline leads up, if you like, from your serviceman or your service center through to your, your training and support centre that you have um, in each of uh, in the US and in Australia. Um, so, so support um, a, a, a great term, <laughs> one that's uh, I think often what should we say uh, people pay pay homage to it but don't necessarily provide it. What what's the key of doing it? Because it's quite demanding. Or well, it can be to provide the right level of support for people. But it varies at different times of their development and so forth. Um, what, what's your thoughts on on how you do provide that support and have a business model that's profitable for the franchisee?
1: Yeah, look, when um, when you uh, asked me to speak uh, today, Brian, and you, you you kind of framed it around this excellent topic about you know the psychology of uh, of franchisees and whatever. And I kind of framed uh, my thinking um, preparation around uh, how you engage franchisees continually in your business and make them feel like they're a a welcome and equal and integrally important part of the business. And um, everything I've talked about so far has probably been in that line. And similarly with support. So most franchise partners who are new to your business Um, have never run their own business before. Uh, Probably 80% have never run their own business before. That's why they buy a franchise in many instances uh, because they want the support. And, you know, I I put it really uh, simply, and that's what I love, one of the things I love about franchising is that head office, or in our case, the Poolwork Support Centre, they manage the backer house. They manage the brand, the supply, the training, the technology, all that sort of stuff. And our franchisees manage the client facing the front of house. Uh, and you know, the couple that owns the business runs the business. Um, and I think it's the, the great two halves of franchising that come together. And you know, particularly you add the, the guts and determination drive of the franchise partner together with the vision of the franchise that back of house and front of house, those two halves, when they come together, you know, they really make an insatiable force uh, for success. And I always position that to our new franchisees is that um, uh, this is our job over here. This is what you pay us to do to, to be your support network, your backer house, your crutch, Your and you're over here. You've got to drive and lead and, and and smile and turn up and all that sort of stuff. And you do your part, we'll do our part, and uh, nobody can beat us in between. But let's not cross over each other uh, because that's just a waste of, of resource along the way. Um, really important I find with new franchisees to know, okay, well, head office is in Brisbane. I'm in Perth. Um, how are you going to support me? So, you know, we have a network of, of local uh, business development managers uh, right across the country um, that look after about um, 20, 25 franchise partners each. And they're there pretty well night and day to hold people's hand through the first 12 months uh, through every season that you go through in whatever industry you're in um, to, to help you where where you're not so good and to pat you on the back where you are. And they hold you know, monthly business meetings with all the peer group franchisees in the, the local town. That's very important. Yeah. So you've got your own network. Um, and they also do do one-on-one coaching every month with every franchise partner. So having your go-to person is really important. You don't want to know have to work out where to go. Um, Communication protocol, it's what what we call it. Um, It's about respect, really. But um, when you join a network, the the last thing you want to do is have a bureaucracy. I mean, bureaucracy kills small business. And franchising, the moment it becomes bureaucratic, it's lost its way. So um, very important to stay real. And part of that is is how we stay real is our comms protocol, where um, every inquiry, no matter who it's to, from the front desk all the way through to me must be replied to in a maximum of two hours. Hopefully the person picks up the phone, but no longer than two hours or we've breached our trust. Um, And uh, then there must be a solution within 24 hours or in some cases there is no solution, but there has to be got back with that answer. And the safety net on this for me is that if you've not got an answer within that timeline, then keep ringing up the chain all the way through to me, phone me, text me, email me. And it happens about once a month that I get a franchise partner contact me. And I know there's been a break in our chain, but people always know that they can get me. Um, If you're new, one of the reasons you buy a franchise, of course, is there's a system. And uh, we've actually got a name for our system, our manuals, our processes, and we have, we have a written document or a video or a podcast or something on every tiny thing you can do in our business. But it all lives uh, within an intranet site called Odyssey, Odyssey being Greek for journey, um, and you can find everything in there to help you with your business. Um, I mentioned our pool school induction for 12 months and I mentioned our BDM. So, you know, it's a pretty massive support, but they're just some of the, the things that popped out to me that, that make people feel very comfortable about joining us, Brian. You know, this brings me to
0: a point. Um, I deal mainly, as you appreciate, with emerging franchisors, and sometimes they, they come to me, perhaps they're struggling. You know, they've been going for a few years, only got a handful of franchisees. They can't work out why they're not growing or why their franchisees are unhappy. And often they haven't allocated the right resources. But of course, in the early stages of growth, and this is where I'm going to come back to to you, back to the days in Hornsby, when the thing emerged from a small sort of factory unit and two or three vans is how you build that element of funding that support in from the early stages of the business.
1: Mm. Well, the thing about a franchise brand, as you know, Brian, is that from a franchisor's point of view, the the most expensive investment, the most the biggest expense line, is your head office, your pool work Support Center support team uh, in every franchisor. and uh, you've your model uh, once you've done your business plan and you've modelled up your first five years. Uh, you're probably going to be in the black for most of that <laughs> or in the red, sorry, for most of that. Um, so you've got to work out how you're going to make up the difference uh, in the red. Are you going to do that, first of all, by not taking a wage yourself as a founder for the first five years? And uh, That probably still won't be enough. Um, and are you going to need additional borrowing from the bank or are you going to need to bring in partners uh, uh, angel investment, or a high net worth investment, or a family friend, or a, a supporter, or or whatever. Um, so yeah, doing that, uh, Brian, which you help very well with that that initial um, five year plan broken down into twelve uh, month cycles, and then working out the next thing from that, how you're going to fund the deficiency uh, in the plan is is so critical because if you don't invest in the people to support the new franchise partners coming in. It's real catch 22, isn't it, Brian? Um, then you, you won't, you'll have unhappy franchisees that don't grow, that aren't profitable, who guess what? They won't be advocates for new people looking to join your brand. So you must support and love your new people to death. And as you've, you and I found, Brian, over the years, that first 12 franchisees, is so critical. You know, We have that slang in franchising called the dirty dozen because if you make it through the first 12 franchisees, you will make it. If you don't, you won't. So you've got to love them to death. Uh, I don't know if that kind of builds on what you were saying, Brian.
0: Oh, it does. It does. I suppose, Look, people go into business, I think, more, much more so than when we go back to your earlier days, no disrespect, but things, as you mentioned briefly in the introduction, they've changed so rapidly these days and people's expectations tend to be accelerated because there's a lot of people talking up, you know, rapid growth, developing into an international force overnight, all that sort of thing. So people's expectations are obviously to make a fortune very quickly. Um, uh, my, 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 my sort of approach is, you know, got to, got to, you build a fortune with patience. Not, not with, uh, not, with not, not jumping on the Concorde at the start of the game. But uh, so that's something you worked on, as you say, building up your initial foundation, if you like. Um,
1: but Brian, there's a really good example of what you just said then. Um, I mean, we were 25 years old when we launched in America five years ago. You know, we're 30 years in now. So we knew our patch pretty darn well. Uh, and we, we did all of our planning and all of our strategizing and our forecasts and whatever. Um, and uh, we didn't meet any of them. <laughs> and, uh, it's taken us, uh, you yeah, we're in year six now and we're turning a profit, Yeah, you know? but it, it took us till year six to turn a profit in the USA. Uh, you know, we're in eight states from coast to coast in the US now. And that was based on us going in with our eyes open after twenty-five years. So, um, hmm, it's it's tricky.
0: It's always tricky, isn't it? And I suppose that's where you've got to have something up your sleeve. So it's a thing called the determination, commitment, some reserves, the ability to call on help, um, which is, leads me into something else. Is, is that, uh, you
1: know, yeah, Brian. There was a, you keep bringing up really good points. Um, when I talked about those pots. Of, of support, of money. Um, I, I picked up something else from Ray Croc's book from McDonald's, and he's got a chapter in there about how he engaged with suppliers for support when he was a tiny brand. Um, and I, I did that same thing. Um, Must've been 20 years ago, um, I saw that I had a, a great retail offering that the suppliers in our our industry really needed for us to be successful. Um, And I engaged with every supplier in the world that would talk to me and and found a number of those who came on board to provide us with um, all sorts of commercial and in some cases, financial support to help us grow. So suppliers can be a great partnership for, for capital.
0: Yes, and uh, as you say, that's the that's the three-legged stall, which you say. Mm-hmm. I remember when I spoke to you, it may have been in an interview, it may have just been one of our casual conversations where we bumped into each other about the fact that you, you regularly reread Ray Croc's book to refresh your memory about the basics and what he did so amazingly.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, and you, you mentioned Greg Nathan before in his fabulous book, Profitable Partnerships, who... Uh, you know, Greg's been a great colleague to you and I over the years and uh, um, I, I assiduously uh, review, we actually workshop his book in every new induction pool school and that, uh, that particular graph of the life cycle of a franchise partner is, is so important.
0: Oh, the e curve. Yes. Uh, those of you not familiar with the e curve, get in touch with me. And I'll explain it, or come to one of our workshops, or or whatever. But uh, it's such a magic little explanation that says so much so quickly. Um, that uh, I mean, I, I'm I'm I, I'm a firm believer in that, and I encourage the franchisees I work with that uh, when they're when they are um, introducing their franchisees to the system to actually run through that to prepare them for the fact that they are going to start questioning what the franchisor does and who does all the work and who makes the money around here Um, because uh, it's just so important, forewarned is forearmed. Yeah, that's a good point you raise there. Um, So um, um, in, in this rapidly changing world, we're going through all these generational changes and I won't throw around all the different terms we we use for people born in different decades and everything else. But, you know, with it, there has been a change, a change in attitude socially and, and so forth. And, and, you know, things like the environment and so forth, which really weren't much of an issue in the 80s and 90s uh, to people's minds. But uh, there's also a demographic change then. Have you seen any difference in the franchise partners that you're that approach you and that you're recruiting these days?
1: John? Look, I. I've seen um, over the life cycle of franchising in the last, um, I've been in franchising for 40 years in Australia now, but uh, some pretty big cycles over time. I remember one of the first cycles was when people moved from being a a man in a van or mowing a lawn or whatever, buy a job type people. Um, and, And there was a big movement in that after the global financial crisis. Um, um, back in 2010 or whatever it was. Um, But once again, uh, what I've found with the pandemic is that it's accelerated what was already happening. Um, And part of it is what I've already been talking about today is that uh, the world today and franchisees today and, and more so now than two years ago are very much looking for a brand that um, is a a very strong brand um, or has the makings of being a very successful brand uh, that has a very locked in um, franchise agreement that has a great systems and recorded systems and methodology behind it and has provable support networks. I mean, it's very hard to to fly by the skinny of pants these days. And one of the reasons for that is that um, because the amount of data that's available to people to do their research, yeah, we we used to, we can see it in all of our uh, franchise uh, recruitment statistics, is that uh, once upon a time, uh, your first approach would be uh, you'd you'd answer the phone. Uh, We now find by the time we talk to somebody, They know more about our business than we do. They've Mm -hmm. done so much research on the brand. Um, Now, that means that you speak to less people, but the people you speak to are far more qualified uh, in their journey. Um, And speaking of that, one of the things we've seen, uh, the good thing about having a business in America through this pandemic is that we're actually seeing things almost six months ahead uh, out of the U.S., um, and, and one of them is in this franchise recruitment area where uh, happened there and it's happening here now, is that the, I don't, I don't know if calibre is the right word, but so many of our people today are more from middle to senior executive ranks uh, rather than trade ranks. They're still from trades and whatever, but, but a lot more middle and senior executives. Um, their assets and liability statements, uh, you know, rather than, uh, having the majority equity in the home, you know we're talking about people with one, two, three, five million dollars worth of net equity, uh, which much higher than what we've seen before, uh, more educated um, and, and a greater management experience. And younger, um, it was only five years ago that the average age of a Pullworks franchisee was 52. Now it's 42. Um, and the amount of inquiries we're getting from 35 plus rather than 45 plus, really changed. And the husband-wife thing, now, you know, we've seen that as a trend over a long period of time, but we've seen that more in the last 12 months than I've ever seen before, where people are coming to us saying, my wife and I have reviewed our life and our plans and where we wanna be, and you know what? We're gonna make the jump earlier than we thought into buying our own business, and we're gonna do it together. the last two couple of things we've really noticed demographically in the in the prospects coming um, is that they're not just looking to to buy a franchise or to buy one store or to, to run one van or whatever it might be. They're really looking for scale. Um, they're looking for a brand that they can join and they can scale up, they can grow with. Now we've had a program for many years. Uh, called our, our five tier program, where you can join as a man in a van, go to multi van, open a retail hub with vans, have multi retail hubs with multi vans, uh, and that means you know business can go from two hundred thousand to five million in revenue. Plus, um, and we're finding that's being very attractive to people, and they can join at any point along the way. The final point is that um, people seem less likely because of all the things we talked about just in the last couple of minutes um, they don't necessarily want to get out there and get on the tools themselves they come from a more senior academic and management background they're used to having staff and they're willing to come in and invest in a in a strong business or an acquisition of an independent straight up and have service managers and retail managers and and that they want to go fast and have people under them
0: that's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting. I certainly pick up in my interface with the business world is people who want to franchise their business. And um, discussing only recently with, with my business and life partner, Prue, she did some analysis working back. And, uh, yeah, we, we would reflect similarly with regards to the ages, John. Um, mm. although ours perhaps started off a little bit older. They were mid-50s, but now certainly mid-40s down to even you know mid-30s. I say even, I look back and I think I was probably, in my mid-30s, I was probably hitting my strides at the, the, the optimum. So mm-hmm. I think we tend to under, underestimate um, in, in business the potential of those younger people who, who have the skills, the determination, but are actually held back. Um, I guess your, your five-tier system offers a solution to that. So you very cleverly created a model for them that says, this isn't where you end, this is where you start.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, we know that entrepreneurship, and we don't talk much about entrepreneurship in Australia, we should, and it's starting to become much more of a buzzword, thank heavens, you know. But, um, yeah, the the solution, to, economic solution to most of the middle-to-developed world is, is in small businesses and in entrepreneurship. And uh, franchising just enables that so well, or, or as you and I call it, intrapreneurship, you know, the, uh, the guts and determination of having your own business but doing it within a brand. Um, but what, one of the interesting things I've found, found demographically, Brian, is that um, I've always been very disappointed that there hasn't been uh, more bubbling entrepreneurship within this country I mean now that we have a business in America I see it all the time and it, it's just so exciting and Australia doesn't have as I've got contrast uh, that same level as entrepreneurship as the US um, and you know we're still interested in big government and having a handout but uh, uh, it's changing and you know for, for you and I and maybe for other people on this call that are either in that age group or have children in that age group. And I have, you know, three kids uh, between 25 and early thirties and they're very entrepreneurial. They're much more entrepreneurial than the decade before them or the decade before them. And uh, I think, you know, franchising really enables uh, and and helps them along the way, whether it's to, to create a brand of their own, or whether it's to be part of a franchise brand, I think younger people are more willing to have a go currently than I've ever seen in my lifetime in Australia.
0: Now there's a there's a point for everybody to pick up on. Um, cast your eyes downwards. Don't dis, don't 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 be discouraged with the with the age of people coming along to you. It's uh, um, one of the most successful franchiseors I know became a franchisee with one of our groups in Perth when he was 18, and now he's worth millions of dollars. Ended up in the UK with a large franchise system he developed. Um, it just goes to show you—you you easily put profiles onto people, which are totally wrong. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, so you mentioned about, you the- know,
1: just on that, Brian. Uh, this isn't entirely true, but one of the frustrating things you and I find in franchising is that um, by the time people have the the capital. Uh, to to buy a franchise or to start a brand um, they're often at the wrong end in some ways of their life cycle in terms of energy and enthusiasm they've got the intelligence and experience um, whereas people who might be um, um, 30 or 35 who, who are brimful of energy and vibrancy and prepared to work seven days a week 12 hours a day like you and I did they're the ones that are lacking the capital um, now, we're in a position at the moment where uh, the the bank of mum and dad has never been stronger, all their property uh, values have gone up, the ability of mum and dad to support their kids into a venture. Um, and or indeed, um, if you present a good business plan, the amount of capital out of banks that's looking for a home at at fixed low interest rates is astronomical. I mean, why somebody wouldn't tap in to bank financing at five-year fixed interest rates of three and a half, four percent percent for a business, well, not a house, for a business, beats me when I can remember paying 15 17% for business lines. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great time for, for people to start a franchise or, or a brand. Mm-hmm. A
0: I say to people, I think this is a chance of a lifetime. It is. Uh, yeah, wherever it is. you sit on the profile. Uh, and I relate it back to the early 90s when Uh, I, with my partners in Perth, had a a number of franchise groups we started. We were pretty entrepreneurial at that stage, and we were knocked down in the rush as people were leaving corporates, bureaucracies, government departments, banks, to start their own business. And the same thing is going to happen again. And as you say, that funding thing is the issue because uh, in those days, it was very different. As you say, mammoth interest rates, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Look, I can't wrap up without... Touching on, I know what is one of your big passions, um, John, and it's something we do share. Um, is is your view of, I suppose, um, uh, the the community and and aligning yourself and your franchisees uh, with with causes, if you like? Would you like to share a little bit of your philosophy on that with us?
1: Yeah, look, I, I believe um, all franchise partners who are looking to join your brand um they're very interested in knowing that the brand has a soul um that it's not just about profit or not just about their dream that there's a there's a bigger soul within the brand a, a common soul uh, a community soul um so it's always been very important in us to have you know what is called cause marketing and i, I often see cause marketing in brands and and i don't get the connection between the cause and the brand like Qantas flies The wallabies, maybe there's a connection with the kangaroos. I don't know, but maybe there is. Um, But a very long time ago, we saw that we're in hundreds of thousands of swimming pools every year, backyards. And uh, back then, uh, 10 years ago, over 80 uh, toddlers under five drowned in Australia that year. And for every toddler that drowns, another five get permanent brain damage. And we thought, God, we're in a fabulous opportunity to to check the gate and check the fence and do all those sorts of things. So we partnered back then with Laurie Lawrence and the uh, Kids Alive program to encourage water safety and, and water and swimming. And uh, you know, since then, uh, this year it's reduced from eighty plus to under ten uh, drownings. I'm not saying we did that, but we. We help work with Laurie to do that. Uh, we've grown that now. We have a, a week a year called Learn to Swim Week, where we work with uh, swim schools all over Australia to provide free swim lessons. We have April Pools Day, where we work with the Red Cross to promote uh-huh. and encourage CPR, um, and we have a Responsible Pool Person. Program where, you know, we encourage people not to drink around the barbecue and to keep an eye on somebody in the backyard, because most drownings happen when, when there's people around. And they take their eye off the ball. So um, we've recently complemented Laurie with, uh, with a new ambassador. So we, we both have Laurie, um, our ageing legend, uh, and we have uh, Libby Trickett uh, as our new ambassador. So, yeah, that's we're big on that. Uh,
0: Congratulations. It's tremendous. And the fact you've aligned it with something that so positively is a cause, a really worthy cause that's doing something not just to build your business, but to help the community and reduce those horrific statistics, which are shocking when you think about it. So everyone, it's not surprising um, that John is someone with a reputation that stands above, head and shoulders above many others in the franchise sector. And and I, I always say that's one of the reasons that he has such longevity with his franchisees and people in his organisation. He, he has managed to retain people for, for long periods of time. Um, and that's something that uh, I might just ask, John, as to just in wrapping up, what, what's the key, you think, to your success with regards to retaining long-term relationships um, within the business?
1: Yeah, look, our average tenure of our franchise partners is knocking on the door of 10 years now. We had people at our recent convention that picked up their 25-year badges, <laughs> which mm-hmm. was pr- pretty good. But um, I-, I think the, the reason, Brian, is pretty much what I've been talking about today. We, everything we do is within the context of a partnership. Um, and, and in doing so, it's helping understand people's dreams for their, for their family and helping them fulfill their dreams. Uh, To to never get above yourself, uh, uh, to to never view a franchise as a corporate, uh, just view it that you've each got a role to perform, your suppliers, your franchise partners and yourself uh, and and do your part of the equation. Uh, Keep it real, be entrepreneurial, uh, don't be bureaucratic. Um, and just help people fulfill their dreams, Brian. I think that's, uh, you know, the the, the example of that, Brian, is that as a result of the pandemic, we we introduced uh, a program called Connect, where once a month for one hour, we have a global digital town hall meeting um, between uh, our leaders and every single one of our franchise partners. And that's made us very vulnerable, very accountable and very real. Wow, I love it.
0: And the fact you prepare to expose yourself and be vulnerable, I think, is a strength. is is, is a strength, and uh, a lot of us shirk back from that. Um, no question about it. So, all right, lo- lovely. I, I might add one thing. You know, um, it was it was a question I or something I discussed with you years ago, but just to reiterate to the people, I I I, I was sadly involved with a, a franchise group that went to an IPO against my against my, my, my wishes, I've got to say, as a board member, and it, it wasn't successful. Um, we've seen a number of franchise groups and ex-franchise groups that have been bought out by investment banks and so forth, and invariably they stumble. Um, it's something that obviously I'm sure you've had approaches and you could easily have gone to scale up and take a fortune and run. Um, what, what's been your simple explanation for why you haven't gone down that path, John?
1: <laughs> well, look... Um... I love small business. I love entrepreneurship. I love franchising. Um, I tell my kids, this is what old men do when they can't play football anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I love winning. I love being in the cut and thrust of it all. I uh, I love bouncing out of bed um, and I love helping our people be successful. So uh, I'm lucky enough that I've got a, you know, a profitable business now. And uh, yes, we do get those knocks on our door uh, every other week uh, these days and uh, you know I'm also lucky that uh, my old uh, one of my uh, kids now works in the business and drives out our innovation technology program so that keeps it all very fresh and very interesting and uh, you know w- what do you do if you sell <laughs> how many games of golf can you play
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah sure it's been deli- a delightful experience speaking to you I really do appreciate it uh, I and the other listeners now and in the future, because these podcasts are proving to have quite quite a long a long life cycle. and uh, what we talk about is I think generational. Um so I'm sure everyone will join me saying it's been a bit of privilege having you here. Opportunity to get to know a bit, bit more about the inside of John O'Brien and sharing his and hearing his words of wisdom. So if anyone would like to know a bit more about uh, about Paul works and have a peep inside the door, I'm sure your your website. Provides uh, great access and opportunity to do that. Um, unless there's any other any other uh, way of contacting or communicating, you'd like to suggest to people, John.
1: Oh, look, Brian. Uh, your your group is a is a much smaller group. Um, good way to contact me is either through that website uh, or indeed through yourself, Brian. Okay, certainly.
0: Always happy to forward any information. So here we go. Brian Keane from Franchise <laughs> Simply signing off and saying thanks very much for joining us in today's really interesting uh, Secret of Franchise Experts Exposed with John O'Brien, founder of international uh, award-winning group, Poolworks. Thank you, John.
1: Thanks, Brian.